This morning, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. So, we had uh, um, kind of finished up uh, talking about um, the, the you know, some making choices, making some decisions in our lives. And, and it was just kind of a, just a, a very brief study, uh, kind of interim, um, as I was looking at a couple of things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that becomes very apparent, um, when we, we take a look at scripture is, um, there's, there's a specific guidance and direction that God wants us to go in our lives, uh, our walk, our pathway. Um, and, you know, I, I've uh, been looking at a lot of things about our Christian walk, uh, looking at various different things. And, uh, the Lord just kind of kept impressing upon me, uh, to, to, to go through the book of Colossians, um, and, uh, to take a look at it from, from a perspective, uh, of just today of what's going on. Uh, we, we, if you go through and you read the, the, the entirety of the book, you find there's, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, things that are happening at this church, uh, that, uh, are, are unique to some of the other churches that are around in that, uh, um, you know, Paul, Paul didn't start this church. Uh, this is a church that, uh, that was brought about, uh, through, uh, soul winning, through the faithful ministry of someone else. Uh, and, uh, Paul was, was brought into this to, to help and teach and educate. And, and we see, uh, there's, there, there's a great issue here talking about the glory of God, the glory of Christ specifically. Uh, and uh, who he is and what he's done for us. And that is the focus upon what we as Christians should be doing. Uh, we take a look at the book and the theme in its bo- in here. We find there's, there's a lot of stuff regarding uh, the false doctrine. There's a lot of stuff uh, regarding how it affects our Christian walk. You've got, uh, if you will, internal and external influences uh, coming in. Uh, you've got uh, uh, what we would consider uh, religious traditions as well as uh, worldly influence uh, trying to be integrated into uh, the the believers here, their walk, their life. And uh, Paul comes in and he begins to, to show and point out some things that, uh, that those those false doctrines, those those teachings are going to take our eyes off of Christ and what Christ has done for us. Uh, they diminish that work, and uh, we need to make sure that that's not the situation that we have. Um, so let's take a look here at Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read through uh, down here to verse 8. I don't think we'll get through all that entirety uh, this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have for all the saints, and for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word uh, um, of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard, uh, heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. As ye learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, for who, 
for it is for uh, you, a faithful minister of Christ, who declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So w- one of the things that we see here is a very common greeting and salutation. If you read, uh, obviously, the epistles that Paul wrote uh, when he's addressing individuals, there's a lot of uh, what he, he, we see is a the common salutation of uh, grace and peace being unto them uh, that comes from God. Uh, we've, we've discussed that uh, quite frequently, and we know what the grace of God is and what the peace of God is. We're not going to focus a lot on those uh, those principles, but one thing that I that, that really stuck out in the first part of this chapter is talking about the faithfulness. Faithfulness. Uh, you know, one of the things that I see here when he starts talking about Paul, and Paul says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, we find one thing that is always brought into question, and that is the apostleship of Paul. Uh, Paul is always uh, being questioned about whether he was really called of Christ, uh, whether he was really called uh, to to do the ministry he had, as it was very unique and very different. Because if you take a look at it, uh, you know the, the 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 message that Paul was preaching was a bit different than what uh, uh, John the Baptist was preaching. It was a bit different than even what Jesus Christ was talking about, as far as that gospel of the kingdom goes. Um, also, a little bit different than the commission that the disciples had, um, and we see a lot of that debate going on over there in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, uh, some some concerns being brought up about what is happening, and, and it makes it very clear that God is uh, wanting to bring salvation to the Gentiles. And one thing that is very clear through all of this is when we go and we see what happened with Paul we find that it was not done of his own self-will. I want you to go over to the book of Acts. Let's uh, you'll keep our place there uh, in, uh, obviously, in the book of Colossians. We'll go over to the book of Acts, and we'll start taking a look at that, that conversion of, uh, of Paul, where, again, here he is on the way to, Dam- uh, to, to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and we see that, that Paul is not heading to Damascus, to to do any favors to the church. As a matter of fact, as he describes it in uh, his letters, he said uh, it was to wreak havoc. Uh, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing it according to the zeal of God. But uh, he realized that it was obviously of his own doing. We see here in verse 1, and it says, And Saul kept breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, it went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men and women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and fell to the earth and a voice and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said unto him, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's very interesting, that last phrase there, that this was something that he was obviously wrestling with. This is something that uh, uh, he, just like the rest of the Pharisees, had heard who Jesus Christ was. There was a lot of contention that was there. I mean, obviously, we see Nicodemus. 
uh, talking about it in a certain way. We even see uh, in the previous chapters, uh, um, uh, Paul's mentor, uh, 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 oh, Gamaliel, there we go, I was thinking, trying to think of his name, uh, trying to... Uh, you know, rationalize it and basically saying, if these, if these men be of God, then we need to leave this alone. This is not our fight. It's not, it's not something that we need to be taking up against, uh, against God and fighting against God. If it's, this is a flash in the pan, then it will fizzle out just like the other flashes in the pan were. They'll be handled. They'll be taken care of. But obviously it wasn't a flash in the pan because what does the Bible say? It says they turn the world upside down. You know, the, the, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ will do that to a place. It will change things. Uh, it will revert things, uh, obviously to the better. But what we find here is we find Paul is doing something, if you will, of his own will, going and, and seeking to persecute the church. He wasn't going there to, to do the right thing. He was going there to do something that was, if you will, against God and against everything that Christ uh, was uh, had proclaimed. That being said, what we find in this passage is we find that God is communicating, back over there in the book of Colossians, that Paul is saying, this isn't of me. This, this is not what I do. This is not what... Uh, I am responsible for uh, uh, coming up with. Uh, this is not self-willed. If you go over to the book of Titus, turn to Titus chapter 1, we see that that is something that is, is, is very clear, something that is a very, um, if you will, dangerous place to be. In Titus chapter 1, he starts talking about a bishop, and he starts talking about uh, what they're supposed to be doing, these elders as he's appointed, uh, how they're supposed to behave. And he says in verse 7, uh, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, uh, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, so, uh, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast, the faithful word as he hath been taught. Now, what, what we understand with this is when we look at that term self-willed, we see that there's a lot of people that are called of, of themselves, there's a lot of people out there. I've run into some of these people that think that God's given them a specific ministry, uh, and, and that they're called to God to do these certain things. And it's like, uh, okay, that's, that's, that's self-willed. I mean, it becomes apparent. Uh, there, there, there are things, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of men in churches, uh, pastors today, that are called of themselves. They think they're God's gift to preaching, the fourth member of the Trinity. They think uh, that everything that they say is quote-unquote gospel, as in full truth and nothing but the truth, um, so help themselves. Because they're not of God. They're not called of God. There are, there are many individuals that are out there that, that uh, as... Uh, uh, as are often referred to, are, are parent-called. They're parent-called preachers. Parent-called pastors. It's what mom and dad want. So mom and dad sends them to a Bible college. Mom and dad says, you're going to be a pastor. Mom and dad sends them over there to get a degree. In order to, what they think, honor mom and dad, they go and they get into a ministry, and they're not in it for the right reason. 
When we start getting down to the intents of our heart, as the scripture points out, it becomes very clear as a person is trying to preach the gospel, as a person is trying to preach the word, as a person that is trying to teach and do the things that God has asked them to do as a pastor, you've got to have a right heart for it. You don't have a heart for it, then this isn't a place to be. It's not a place to be. This isn't a business. This isn't an entertainment venue. This isn't about building the biggest, baddest church that's ever existed. You know, whatever it is. It's not about that. This is about Jesus Christ. This is about him doing the work. He was the one that added to the church. Acts makes that clear. Now, does that mean that we don't have, you know, evangelistic outreach? No, we still have that. Does that mean that individuals in the church aren't supposed to go out there? No, we're not Calvinists, and we don't believe that way. So we go out there and we do, we, we do exactly what God's told us to do. We preach the gospel. We, we, we tell people about Jesus Christ, the need for a Savior. We, we, we communicate all of that to them. But one thing that is very, very important for us to begin to understand is, is Paul is emphasizing this to say he's following the will of God. He's following the will of God. There are many people today that will not follow the will of God. God will call them to a place, but they won't go. They will be a Jonah. They'll head a different direction. They'll go, they'll go a different way. And, and whether it's a person that is self-called, whether it's a person that is parent-called, there are all others out there that are called, you know, pastor-called, if you will. Where, where, where some pastor looks at a person and says, oh man, I want this person to do this and I want this person to do that. And they just invest so much time and effort into this person and that person wants nothing to do with it. And they're doing it just to kind of, if you will, please the pastor or get some sort of preeminence or position or power or whatever it may be. All those people burn out. They don't last. They don't last. I'll tell you this, it, 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 takes a, it takes a heart to want to come to the Pacific Northwest and do anything in a church. Pacific Northwest is known as the graveyard of churches and pastors because they just churn them out. Why? Oh, it's a hard field. I mean, you're, you're, you're battling not only the spiritual influences of, of, uh, 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 new age spiritualism and, uh, occult practices and drugs and human trafficking and just genuine evilness. It's not like you're going over to Iowa and starting a little church over there where most of the people all know each other and they, you know, go on to come together and they've kind of got some semblance of morality. It's not like that. It's nothing like that. This place is hard. I mean, I often think of it, you know, over there in the book of Acts where, where they go and, and you find them there and you see the individuals starting to get this fervor and they start chanting, you know, about the goddess Diana and all of these things, trying to, you know, lift her up because these individuals were preaching against their gods. Over here, you're, you're combating humanism. People talk about, you know, like Mexico and strongholds of Roman Catholicism or uh, you go over to South Korea and there's strongholds of uh, 
um, some, if you will, some new age progressive Christianity, some emergent church, some uh, prosperity theory mixed in with some charismatic movement, Pentecostal, uh, whatever's over there. You go over and you find uh, one of the greatest mission fields is is the the state of Hawaii that uh, a bunch of individuals will go over there from uh, you know the Mormon church and they're going over there and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing that but you come over here you got to have a heart for it it's got to be done according to the will of God Paul wasn't about himself. Paul makes it very clear here to the, to, to the, the, this church here that his apostleship and what he was doing was not of his own power. It was not his own plan. It was not, it, 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 it's not his specific desire in this. It was God. It was the will of God that was calling him. He wants to make this clear because it becomes an important issue. If a person is not actively going out and seeking the will of God in their life, they're going to fall to those false doctrines, those traditions of men, the the, the legalism and the worldliness, and if you will, the carnality that creeps into the church today. So here is setting an example and saying, hey, this is, I'm not doing this out of my own, because my own desire of what I want. We go down to verse two here and he says to saints, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an interesting thing because he begins to set up a, a, a mentality. Now we've talked about what a saint is. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has called you a saint. That, that's it. There are Old Testament saints. There are New Testament saints. There will be tribulation saints. Uh, we see this very clearly throughout the, throughout scripture. And here he is, he's making sure and he's giving some affirmation to them. But because they are following God in this, because they're seeking it, he notices something that is being told of him that he's beginning to hear about this church, and that is their faithfulness. And I want you to see there's several things that happens because of this. In verse 2, he says to the, the, the saints and faithful brethren, faithful brethren, you know, in this day and age, as scripture says, you know, it's hard to find people that are faithful. It's hard to find people that are faithful. It's hard to find people that will be faithful to coming to church, faithful to ministry, faithful to prayer, faithful to Bible reading, faithful to service, faithful to, to, to God. It just, it becomes one of those, those, those challenges that people have a, have a hard time with. They don't get it. They, they, they don't receive the word of God. They don't obey it because they don't believe it. And that's the essential part of faith. You go over there and you find in Hebrews chapter 11, as, as it defines what faith is about, he says very clearly, faith is substance. Faith is evidence. And what is that? It's, it's that a person has believed what God said, just like Abraham did, and went out and did it. Not fighting, not in a contestation, 
Not, not arguing and debating about it, but going and doing. And we find that this is an important principle because here they are hearing the word of God as we just read in, in down a little bit further, hearing that gospel, hearing the truth, they're believing it and they're being faithful to it. And that faithful testimony, that faithful witness is beginning to spread. It's beginning to spread. And why is that? Because there was this progression of how Paul obviously had some contact with Epaphras, and Epaphras goes out there and he's he's trusting Christ as his Savior. He goes to Colossae. He starts preaching the gospel there. They form a church. They all start being faithful. And it starts because somebody else was faithful to the will of God, and another person was faithful because of that testimony, and because of that, a bunch of people were faithful to that testimony, and now that testimony is beginning to spread, and it's coming back to Paul, where Paul is now seeing that, and it's causing him to do something. And in the first part of this book, the very first few verses, the one principle that I see is that our testimony, our witness, should be faithful in such a way that it has an impact not only on unbelievers, but on believers too. If your witness is not having an impact in somebody else's life because of what you're doing for Jesus Christ, you need to start asking some serious questions about it. What am I being faithful to? To whom am I faithful? What is it I'm hearing? What is it I'm obeying? There's a, there, there's a lot of principles that we see by this. And, 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 and Paul's trying to reinforce this. So what we know about this church is obviously they're believers, they're saints. But the key thing that we look at is their faithfulness. Their faithfulness. In verse 3, we see here, we, we, we see him giving thanks. He says in verse 3, we give thanks to God uh, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. He heard of it. And Epaphras is coming and saying, you know, Paul, you got, you, you know, the, the, these believers over here at Colossae, man, you got to, this church... Then they love God, they love the people, they, they love the gospel, they love the word of God, and they're out there and they're active and they're faithful. This is a, this is a group of people, that, Paul, that we can see the spirit of God moving in. Because he starts talking about that. He starts talking about some things with fruit. But what we find here is very clear that this group, because of the faithfulness, prompted Paul to pray. It prompted Paul to pray. And he was praying in such a way that he's obviously praying for them, but he's also praying in such a way that he is also being thankful for them. Paul is praying for people and being thankful for people he has never met. He has never met. There's a lot of people out there that have churches all across this country that are going through difficult things, difficult times, stuff like that. You know, there's 
there's an individual by the name of Dewey Stewart who's over there in Watertown, uh, New York. And if you know anything about what just happened over there, they just had a, just an absolute unloading of snow in a short period of time. They broke a record. 61 inches. And that was just the first part of the storm. That didn't count the rest of it. Dewey said, he said he's never seen anything like this. He's lived up there for a while. He's like, he's never seen anything like that. Now, how do you prepare for it? I don't know if you've seen some of the, the video footage up there, but you know those, uh, you, you know what's bad when instead of snow plows, they're using front loaders. And you know what's bad when the front loader gets stuck in the snow. What do you do then? What rescues the front loader? <laughs> you said when you start bringing out tanks and bulldozers and, you know, the, those recovery vehicles that the U.S. Army uses to pull, you know, M1 Abrams when they get stuck in the mud. I'm like, whoa. It's just amazing to sit there and think about that. You know, you pray for that little church. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for others that are over there in the New York area. Many of are dear friends with the Griffies. Griffies have communicated, you know, some of my issues and some of my needs, and they're over there and they're faithfully praying. I'm thankful for that. Keep in touch with Rich Glenn down at Truvine. Faithful man of God. Been through thick, thin, thinner, and then even thinnest, and then, you know, he's still faithful. He's still faithful. I, I, I look at all of that and I see something that's a pattern that's supposed to be happening with our Christian life. Our Christian life should prompt people to be thankful. We just went through Thanksgiving, right? We're done, right? We don't have to give thanks anymore. For the rest of the year, we're done. Did it on the one day. We're you know, No, 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 no. Because we know what the will of God is, right? According to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. And everything give thanks, right? So, so we understand that concept. We understand that principle. But here, I see something that's unique. That the church at Colossae, their faithfulness of these believers caused Paul to lift you know, lift up the name of God, saying, God, I thank you for those believers that are there. I thank you that the gospel was sent. I thank you that they believed. I thank you for their faithfulness, Lord. I pray that they will continue. I pray that they will endure. I pray that they will, 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 will stay faithful to the principles of, of Christ and keep moving forward in the will of God. We see something very different about them. And this testimony should bring others to do these things. You know, sometimes we, we don't always realize what our testimony does. You know, we think about the bad testimonies, right? You know, look, again, you know, God hasn't called, you know, anybody to go minister to the drunks in the bar. Okay? There's a testimony. There's a witness. You know, 
hanging around people that are are not godly, that are doing things that are against God, they, 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 number one, they should know most importantly that first and foremost, you're not their friend. Because friendship with the world does not equate to friendship with God. Puts you at enmity. You gotta be very careful about your friends. Gotta be very careful. You should know the testimony of your friends. You should know whether or not they've trusted Christ as their Savior. You know what they should know more about? They should know less about you, less about your hobbies, less about what you, 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 you truly like, and, and they should know more about what your passion and what your heart's desire should be, which is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. I have some people that I know that are unsaved. But I will tell you this, they know that I'm a Christian. They know that there's certain things that I don't tolerate. And I've had them ask doctrinal questions. I've had them ask doctrinal questions. I was on the phone one time at work with an individual, and uh, uh, this individual, he said, so, so you're, you're, you're a pastor of a church, right? Yes. He said, so you're a Christian? Yes. He says, like, so you know the Bible? Yes. I don't know all of it. I'm not going to ever say that I do. But, you know, I, I know it has the answers. And I know that there's times that I need to go seek out those answers. I'm not going to say that I have an answer for everything, but I'm going to say that God has an answer for everything. And many times, my answers are not God's answers. So i got to make sure that they're godly answers. So we were talking about that, and he said, he, he just randomly asked. He said, so, so talk to me about drinking, because he says, I, I, I see so many so Christians out there doing that. I got to have a doctrinal discussion with an individual that, as far as I know, is unsaved, but at the same time, I was able to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. He asked for it. He asked for it. And the company that I'm with, they're really not against that. Which is weird. Because they are very progressive. I mean, the company that I'm with, they will actually let you have an hour time to go with other colleagues on company time and have a Bible study if you want to. Now, they'll let you do other things. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's other groups that are out there, right? <clears throat> they allow them to do their stuff. But... I, I've, I've never been with a company that will allow that. Wow. <laughs> so I need to go claim uh, my wife's spleen and just flew across the room. <laughs> um, but you, you, know, you understand what I'm saying is, is, is we know very clearly that the world should see us differently. 
The things that should be coming out of your mouth shouldn't be boasting about who you are and what you've done and, and all of this. Like, uh, like, you know, uh, Paul was beforehand. He's like, he's talking about the will of God. He's talking about all of these things. And what he's seeing there is he's seeing that foundation and that principle with the church at Colossae so much so that, 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 that's the immediate response that, that, that prayer and thanksgiving should be, should be, should be had with other believers. You should have interactions with other believers that cause people to say, man, I am thankful that you are in my life. I am thankful that God put you there. I'm thankful for these things. I'm going to be praying for you. Will you pray for me? And and that's the way that it's supposed to behave and it's supposed to work. The same with the people that are without. The conversation should always be brought back to God. Conversation should always be brought back to God. That's how this, this, this testimony is supposed to be worked. That's the faithfulness. Because we see as we go down here a little bit further, as I just read there in verse, uh, verse four, he said, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, this is something that was being spread abroad. This is something that, that was, was not being kept quiet. They weren't a, a closet Christian. They weren't somebody that was just kind of hiding behind the scene like Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. There were individuals that, that that came out and specifically were, exe- were were exemplifying faithfulness to Christ because of His faithfulness to us. God is the one that's faithful. He is called the faithful one. He is faithful in His obedience. He was faithful to, to the, the will of the Father. He was faithful on the cross. He was faithful in resurrection. He was faithful in the promises. So the same principle we see here is that we're supposed to follow that same pattern of faith. And he says, since we've heard of that, and what does this faith begin to do? This faith is, if you will, you go back over to Galatians chapter 5, and you find it as an element of the fruit of the Spirit, right? What else? What's the very first thing that shows up as the fruit of the Spirit? Love. And look at what happens next. And of the love which ye have... To all the saints. This doesn't sound like the church at Corinth. Where everybody's like, you know, at each other's throat, right? They're exemplifying love. You can't help but see the patterns there that are set in the book of First John and even third John, or second John and third John over there too, where you see an individual that was very clearly demonstrating his love and care for believers and somebody that was all about themselves. Niatrophies. But what we find here is we find that these individuals are demonstrating a love that is seen. You know, one of the things that just causes such heartache and grief is when you see the way that some Christians behave. Especially when it comes to love. They don't demonstrate it. They don't show it. They don't show that they care about other believers. They care about themselves. They care about themselves. And, and, and this creates a problem. It creates a selfish, pride-filled, self-willed mentality. 
which is obviously what, 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 what God's against and what Paul here is, is making sure that they understand. Now, I want you to understand these things that we see here with this, this faith and this love. If you jump down to verse eight there, he says, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. The reason that they had a love for the saints is because they had a love that was spirit led. It was the fruit of the spirit. There was a spiritual connection with the love. You know, sometimes we associate love in a physical sense. Why? Because we live in a physical world. The world associates love in a physical sense, even though they call it somewhat emotional. Love isn't an emotion. Love never has been an emotion. If love was an emotion, we'd all be basket cases. So when anybody tries to make love an emotion, what happens? Well, they're a basket case. Because it didn't work that way. Love is demonstrated. Love is an action. Love is a purpose of heart. Love is a uh, the allowance of affection. The, there, there's so much about love, and most importantly, above everything, God is love. So if God is not part of love, there's a problem. So when these people, you know, young people come together, or even sometimes aged people come together, and they're like, oh, but I, we love each other. Well, is God part of the relationship? If God's not part of the relationship, that's going to be a tough road. That's going to be brutal. There's going to be there, there, there's going to be some ditches, some minefields, some barbed wire. There's all. It's not going to be a pretty sight. It's not going to be a pretty thing. So what 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 God's talking about here is He's beginning to show, hey, look, these individuals, this church at Colossae, they had a love for one another and a love for those that were were even outside of their church, outside of their their, their little congregation that they had. They they had a love and a care and a compassion for them, and and, and it was, if you will, spirit led. They were following what what principles were outlined over there in First John, where he, where John says, you know, if you don't love the brethren, you have you can't love God. There's there's a problem. You can't say you love God and then turn around and hate them. If a person has hatred in such a way, there is an issue with the love of God being in a person's life and having that love that was demonstrated to us. God commendeth his love toward us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a problem with us demonstrating that in our life. And a lot of times it comes back to, I don't necessarily believe. It all goes back to the cross. It all goes back to their relationship with God. And the one thing that we see here about this testimony of this church is because of uh, their love for the, for the Lord, their love for God, their love in the Spirit, it produces a faithfulness and then a love that was demonstrated to other individuals. And I, and, and I like that because that love is, if you will, connected to that faith. Well, how is it connected? 
Well, they believe God, they believe the gospel, they believe the truth. And as such, they said, well, hey, if God loved them, we should love them too. We should demonstrate the same. And what happens? They heard, they believed, and they acted upon it. That's faith. That's faith. That's what we see here. That's what we see with this, with this church. And we see here that they've got a motivation. And in verse five, he talks about it. He says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof, uh, ye, uh, uh, heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. They had a hope. They had a hope. You know what drove that love? What drove that faith was the fact that they began to hear that they could have hope in this world. Paul talks to the other churches and he talks about sorrow and he says there's a sorrow of the world. There are people that sorrow as if they have no hope because they don't. You know, the hope of uh, that I look at with believers is this, is that even though a believer may pass here in this life, I know that one day if they're trusting Christ as their Savior, I will see them again. Just like David's confidence when his son died. He says, I know I will go to him. He won't come to me. I know I'll go to him. He knew exactly what was going to happen. So the same thing is this hope that we see with the Colossians that begins, if you will, to, to manifest with this faith and with this, with this, uh, with this love that's being demonstrated. This is, if you will, their motivation. Their motivation, this hope is not a physical hope. It's not like, oh, I hope I win that two billion dollar lotto. No. Oh man, I really, really, really hope that my week goes well. I really hope that I get that raise. I really hope there's no, you know, family drama at Christmas. Right? No, this was a heavenly hope. This was an eternal hope. They had set their affections on things above, not on things of this world, as Christ had told them. And, and, and as Paul has communicated throughout his testimonies, of of what people should be doing. But what we find here is we see that they had heard and they had heeded and they took that hope and they held on to that hope and they're still holding on to that hope and they're still wanting to do it. They're still wanting to continue. And that's what drives them to continue and to be faithful and continue to demonstrate that love. I'll tell you this. One of the reasons that people stop being faithful in ministries is because they lose sight of the hope. They lose sight of the hope. Pastors that have been doing uh, ministries for, you know, seven, ten years, and they look at it and they go, oh man, church hasn't grown. Nobody's done anything. This is horrible. This is awful. I don't know why I'm doing this. Well, what happens? They took their eyes off the hope. They took their eyes off the hope and they put their eyes on themselves. And what God tells us to do is that we're supposed to very distinctly keep focused on Christ. And Christ is our hope. The hope of glory. 
It's, it's in him that I have eternal life. It's in him that I actually will will have the forgiveness of sins. Not in myself. Not in who I am. And again, as it says there very clearly, it says that they heard this, what is it? In the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel gives hope. The gospel gives hope. There's a lot of churches out that want to give hope. And you know how they give hope? They, they, they give hope in a physical sense. I understand giving somebody a bowl of soup and giving somebody a, a coat and giving them something that they need for, 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 for a physical need and, and having that as an opportunity to present the gospel. I totally get that. But sometimes there's churches out there that that's all they do. That's all they do. It's called social gospel. Well, it's just, it's just help them physically. It's just help them physically. We don't need to tell them about the gospel because that's going to offend them. Let's just, let's just give them a bowl of soup and they'll be happy. And they'll see that happiness. And they'll just want and desire Christ. They don't know that they need Christ, maybe. They don't know that they need forgiveness of sins. They don't know those things. So what is that? The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is his hope. His death, burial, and resurrection so that we would have forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, and, and that we would have a home in heaven for all of eternity, that's hope. That's hope. And it prompts us and continues to build that testimony. And if there's one thing that I know about false doctrine and traditions of men, is it robs people of that hope. It robs them. You get stuck up in legalism, guess what happens? Your hope quickly vanishes. Because you're sitting there going, I can't keep up with this. I can't keep up with it. But because of their love in the Spirit, and because of the hope they had, they had a faithful testimony of their love and care for others. This is, this is what we begin to see about it. And, and again, what does it do? It prompts other believers to give glory to God and to also give praise and thanksgiving in their prayers to God. This is what happened with Paul. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, progression of the gospel, progression of what happens and the fruitfulness that's there. And we, as I already alluded, we saw a little bit of how, how there was, you know, the fruit of the Spirit in, in Paul and then Paul to Epaphras and then Epaphras to them. And then that fruit comes back to Paul and so on and so forth. And we'll see that, that dynamic in a little bit more detail as we go through this. And we see how that fruitfulness is supposed to be there, how that fruitfulness that, that God has multiple verses talking about in our lives of what we're supposed to be doing is a critical component. And it was something that was found at the church at Colossae. Not only were they faithful, but they were fruitful. And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to just begin to get into this book. Uh, not get into it too far, Lord, but we do clearly see the, the church that's here, Lord, these body, this body of believers, these congregation, Lord, and their faithfulness, their love, their hope. And, and, and Lord, I just pray that we would take an example from that.
And Lord, we're beginning to look, we'd begin to learn from it, Lord, that we would please you and follow your will. Again, Lord, I pray you just continue to meet with us and be with our hearts. Prepare them that we'd be ready for the 11 o'clock service. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.